Hello, you're listening to No Such Word as Can't with me, Hazel McBride. I was always told growing up that there was no such word as can't, and I genuinely believe that that mentality instilled a belief in me that anything was possible if I just set my mind to it. As someone who started off with a seemingly impossible dream and somehow made it my reality, I want to help more people achieve their goals by giving them actionable advice, as well as sharing stories from others who have done the same. Today, I have the absolute pleasure to welcome Will Elgar to the pod. Welcome, Will. Hey, how you doing? Good to be here. Thanks for inviting me, Hazel. Of course. I'm so excited to sit down and chat to you. But for my listeners who might not know who the current president of Imata is, can you give a little summary of who you are? Sure, definitely. Um, So, uh, I tell from your accent, I'm from the same place as as Hazel. Yeah, I'm from the UK. um, And that's where I grew up. Uh, I now reside in the US. I'm actually in Miami. I'm the director of Zoom Miami. Uh, My career has been very um, fortunate in the sense that it's taken me across the Atlantic from the UK originally to now hold this this position. I'm very proud to serve uh, Zoom Miami and the the staff of Zoom Miami. Um, And also, as Hazel mentioned, uh, I am the current sitting serving president of IMATA, which which is a a tremendous honor to, to do that considering that's how I, I was brought up and brought up in this industry as well so um for me it's like I'm the, I'm the first president to actually do a two-year term as well uh because we're trying to look for some consistency so that, that's kind of cool for me but um I've been in the field for over 23 years uh I started out as a zookeeper animal trainer and I've uh, gradually worked my way up to where I am now so yeah it's honestly for me as you know you mentioned obviously we're both from the United Kingdom and when I was a baby human and wanted to be a marine mammal trainer and had no idea of you know where to go and you know being from the UK we don't have any cetaceans in human care so it does kind of feel very out of reach to a certain extent and I do remember other British trainers telling me Will's story um about you know he started in the UK and now he's over in America so it does kind of give hope to people I would I would say um but what was it like for you growing up in the UK and what what sparked that dream of wanting to work with animals for you do you know that's a great question and, and for me I, I people always ask me like oh how did you how did you end up where you are and I think it was being in the UK as you, as you mentioned it's it the word I would use it's quite challenging to actually to to break out and you see you, you listen about SeaWorld, you see SeaWorld on TV, you always want to visit Orlando. And, and that, that's one of those things you want to go to Disney, SeaWorld and, and see that. And then you think to yourself, well, what's, what's the UK SeaWorld? Uh, and you think, well, how do I do something? How do I dream to be that? And I remember visiting um, SeaWorld and, and talking to the trainers going, okay, well, can you work in the US? And I'm like, uh, not without a visa. So there's that whole complicated part of it. So for me, I started out, um way back when I was about 16 I really sort of like so I I really was interested in animals and I said to my mum look I'm gonna either be a dolphin trainer an astronaut or a stuntman you picked the easy ones yeah yeah I I sort of aimed high and then I knew straight away from being at school and then going into doing all the sciences that I was like I'm never gonna be an astronaut I haven't got the patience for that (laughs) Uh, I thought I could be a stuntman and I still think I can be a stuntman but I don't know if my body can carry that anymore so that I, I aimed for the dolphin trainer. I was like, okay, so how can I do this? Um, and I thought to myself, right, how do I get involved in this? And I was living in uh, Fulham at the time uh, around Surrey and going to, I was at Merton College and I was like, right, what can I do? So I saw Chessington World of Adventures 
And I was like, oh, and I saw that they had animals. And the zoo was, wasn't a big part of it when I first started there, um, but they had sea lions. And I was like, oh, these are kind of cool. So I was there visiting, and I, I asked the, the guys there, uh, Adam Whittingham, his name was when he was running it. Um, I asked him, I said, okay, so how, how can I get involved? What can I do? They're like, well, if you want, you can volunteer. I was like, yeah, that would be great. So I started volunteering for the presentations team. Um, and that's where it all started. I, 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 they put me in front of a sea lion. His name was Harley. Uh, Harley was incredible. Uh, anyone who's been to Chessington, everyone's had the opportunity to work at Chessington will know Harley. I've met Harley. Uh, yeah, Harley. Harley was amazing. Mm-hmm. He was the best animal you could ever learn on. He was like a big, wet, fishy dog. Uh, they put me in front of him and I just fell in love and I fell in love with him. And that, that started my, my journey of where I, I, I've gone through. So uh, that's where it all started off. And how old were you when you started volunteering there? Uh, probably 19, 19, 20. So mm-hmm. I was I was in the middle of I was at university as well at the same time um, and just trying to understand how that was. And uh, the. The, the part of that so I was at university doing biology at the time I know people do all these different things now animal management and stuff like that and I was at university 23 years ago so it's just a long time <laughs> but and I was uh, so I did just straight biology um and I was doing that understanding that point and it came to a point where I got offered the position I got offered a position at um Chessington and I hadn't finished my degree <clears throat> and I went to my uh, lecturer and I said look I've been offered this position what should I do? Because it's, it's, it's the start of what my dream job could be. And he was like, Hey, take it. He said, you can always finish off your degree at a later date. He said, take it. He said, you're not going to have many opportunities that come out like this. You can always finish your degree or do it part-time, which I ended up doing. Um, so I took that on and I took that position and, and I say it grew from there. So, and that's not me advising people to just quit, quit college and jump out and get a job. But it's like, sometimes the, those are the doors that when they open, you have to walk through them. So. I was just going to say, if you could go back to your younger self, would you still make that same decision? Oh, yeah. Hands down, of course I would. Because for me, it, yeah, it was a challenge of not finish university, but then it was the opportunity. And everything for me, every challenge gives an opportunity. There's always a silver lining with everything, no matter what. And I know as trainers, we're always asked to look at the positive, find the positive. Hmm. But if you do that in your career as well, and you look at it, okay, a door shuts over here, it's because an opportunity is going to come somewhere else and it gives you the opportunity to move elsewhere. So... Um, you have to look at everything in that way. So that's that's how I look at it. And I would tell myself the same thing. Yeah, make sure you do it. So Yeah, I love that. I love that. And it's it's great, you know, sometimes in this, in life in general, I suppose, but also with your career, sometimes you do have to take a risk, you know, whether that's, you know, passing up university at that moment and taking a job or whether it's moving to a completely different country or whatever it is, you know, so you started off at Chessington, but you didn't stay there. No, I didn't. So um I was at Chessington. I, I spent 10 years at Chessington, all in all. But then I was given an opportunity to go to uh, London Zoo, actually Whipsnade Zoo. And I moved up to ZSL. Now, at the time I was um, considering that position, and actually taking that position at ZSL, I was also talking to Dolphin Quest in Bermuda. And I'd, I'd recently, I'd interned back there in 2002, I think it was. I was I, I'd interned there and with one of my mentors today, and I, I can't give enough kudos to Michelle Campbell, who uh, still works with Dolphin Quest. She, she's an amazing woman. Um, really, she's been a really good guide for me in my career. And I always kept in touch with her. So I started talking to her and they mentioned to me about the position as a manager of Marine Mammal. So I went to ZSL as a team leader, doing their presentations, doing the sea lines, working there. But at the same time, I was also, there's this opportunity that's out there. Now, Is that just, because the whole time that you, well, not, probably not the whole time, I'm sure you were very content working with pinnipeds. Um, was there always that kind of voice in the back of your head that was like, I haven't 
explored that dream of being a dolphin trainer that pulled you towards Bermuda? It, it was because, as, as I mentioned before, my dream was I said to my mom, I'm going to be a dolphin trainer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and being sea lions was the starting for that. And then I did my internship back uh, right at the start. Um, and I got that taste then, that, that three month taste then. And I was like, okay, if I get the opportunity to do this, then I'm living that dream. I'm living that goal. And that's that's one of the milestones I was looking for. So um, when it came up and it, everything sort of lined up really well, um, because I spent eight months, I think eight to 10 months at ZSL before this position came around because of all visas and things like that. Um, but then I was given the opportunity to go. And as, as you mentioned earlier on, I'm not a risk adverse person. I, I would take the jump. I would take that. I'm, I'm very much the same with the trainer in, in training. I will take that risk to push things to the next level because you have to. And that doesn't mean I want to be in an aggressive situation, but I would take you're, you're, a, you're a just one more trainer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it is very much like that. Um, but it's the same with my career. I'm like, okay, so this is the next step. Okay. Let me take this. And yeah, yeah I got very fortunate that I was considered to take the position of a manager of a dolphin facility with only three months of intern experience as a dolphin trainer um and I remember talking to Michelle and it was more about the fact that I'd worked with multiple animals at the zoo that gave it a different out of the box sort of style thinking to look at those animals and I think that's something I I will always promote is that no matter what and I've done this throughout my career when I've hired people is that just because you haven't got dolphin experience or you don't have sea lion experience doesn't mean you're not considered for the position because people look at things very differently, especially when you've worked primates or if you've worked elephants or rhinos or even been around those animals, you understand the training concepts because they're all the same no matter what animal it is. It's just the natural history. So once you learn that natural history of that animal, then you can apply what you know to that. And also the social you've seen with chimpanzees compared to dolphins. And there's there's similarities and I've seen that. So so that was where they took a risk on me. I remember me and Michelle having a conversation. She said, we took a big risk on bringing you in as manager and she said it paid off and I, I say I'm very thankful for Michelle for doing that. I think there's a really nice point to be made there about transferable skills because um, people even ask me you know oh, I want to be a killer rail trainer I must have to have dolphin experience and the majority of killer rail managers that I've spoken to really like people coming in who have sea lion experience particularly because those trainers are so aware of their space of where the animal is of safety protocols um so yeah absolutely just because you haven't worked with a certain type of animal doesn't mean that you automatically won't be considered for a different position um so they took a risk you took a risk did it pay off oh it did it paid off thousands of times for me it did for i I assume for dolphin quest it did we had some very successful years there um we brought in some different so i i've always said this so I, i take risks as a trainer but i'm also a very boring trainer uh, and I mean that in the sense of I'm all about fundamentals. I'm all about if an animal can hold, can sit, can stay, can can just is, has the patience to for blood draws and, and things like that. So I remember doing programs at Dolphin Quest and everyone would be like, oh, the, all the, the other stuff, be like jumping with the animals, jumping in bits and things like that. I'd be like, I'll sit in a sonogram all day long, let the animals sit in front of the guests and the guests just basically run down on the dolphin and, and the animals that like that who are tactile, like reinforced. And I would sit and just have, I'd be like sitting on a couch with some friends and just be like, just telling them some information about the dolphin, telling them about how their social grouping, just while they're just touching the dolphin. That that literally was like some of my programs. And I'd get some really good comments on it and like read compliments because it was more dolphin time, but it wasn't very like, it wasn't dramatic or overly engaging. It was just, hey, this is this is the dolphin. This is what they came for. So, and that's what I loved about Dolphin Quest. Um, 
and not that any other facility does anything wrong. It's just we weren't about the dorf, dorsal toes or the the foot pushes. We're about connecting the animals to the people and, and touching hearts, touching minds. I always remember that's that's the way it was. And I appreciate that because that's come up through me with everything I've done, with all the different interactions and encounters I've put out and everything I have is based off that. So I say I'm very thankful to Dolphin Quest for, for setting me on that, that route. Yeah, I mean, Dolphin Quest has a stellar reputation for a reason within the industry. Um, and Dolphin Quest actually is one of the places that a lot of Brits, essentially Dolphin yep. Quest Bermuda, not necessarily the, yep. the other locations, tend to gravitate towards, especially for internships, because it is a British overseas territory. And do you need a yep. visa to intern there or just to work there? Um, you do need to go through a visa process, yeah. So, mm. but it's it's a lot easier to get hold of a visa for there. Um, and as you say, yeah, I know when we had internships, we had a lot of British come across there, and and it was always it, it was a good hub for that in the sense of cutting your teeth with cetaceans at a very very good facility, as you say, great reputation, and having a really good foundation in, in training. So, and what did it feel like for you? Because you know Bermuda is just as a climate and as an island is pretty different from the United Kingdom. And how did you find that moving over there to live as well as, you know, to work? So as, as before, I've always been one of those ones wherever I lay my hat's my home. Um, mm. So adapting to things is I always and I always say that my leadership style and my style is chameleon. I adapt to my environment. Um, but living there is it, it can be a challenge. It, anytime you move, anytime you move to a different culture, even though it is very heavily expat, um so there's a lot of uh, british a lot of irish a lot of scottish a lot of american a lot of canadians on that island um it can still be it's still a challenge when you move it's because it's not your norm so anything from like, just learning the local customs and, and things like that so that itself is always an adventure for me and understanding that but it wasn't too big a challenge because as i say that it's still got a very british history and tradition to it so it was a nice sort of segue into stuff i was doing in the future yeah, what kind of advice would you give to aspiring, specifically, I'm going to say cetacean trainers, so dolphins or belugas, pilot whales, killer whales, whatever they want to work with, in the UK at the moment, who might have felt like you or I when we were younger, kind of stuck not knowing where those opportunities were. What kind of advice would you give to them? Um, I think same as what I'd give to myself, the same thing is that you have to look for things. You have to You have to really really put yourself in a position where you're, you're vulnerable it's like everything it's like okay you're gonna you can't stay too close to home because if you do then you're, you're limiting yourself and what you do um so you don't you don't be don't be uh, limited by your challenges challenge your limits is always something i was I, i'd say so if you feel that you want to get into cetaceans then you know that you have to move out of the uk eventually to do that so it's, it's having that mindset knowing that okay i'm gonna have to move i'm gonna have to relocate so if I do that, what does that entail? Am I ready for that? Would I be ready for that? Am I too much of a home person to do that? Because I know some people who have actually done it and made the jump, but then suddenly been like, I'm pretty homesick. So you're going to have to realize you do get homesick. And if you're on these islands, like I know a lot of people, like maybe move to the, the Canary Islands, or if they move to the Caribbean, I know Grand Cayman was a big one. Um, you're going to get to a point where you're like, okay, you're not at home anymore. So you're going to have to realize that, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to have to do this on my own, but it's such, such an amazing journey to take that I would say everyone has to take it, whether you're going to succeed on it, that's, that's your choice and how you, you move forward. But you have to take that jump. If you really want to get into it, you have to take that jump and take that risk. Um, and you can take it as calculated as you want, or you can be like, yeah, whatever. Um, but 
it's all about you and doing that, but you have to take that step if you really want to get, want to get there. Yeah, I love that. And I think it's so important to tell people that, that it's not going to be easy. You know, it, it, moving countries is never going to be easy. And I remember the night before I moved to the Dominican Republic, my first dolphin training job didn't speak any Spanish, had never been to the island, didn't know anyone there. I was terrified, bricking myself. And my mom turned to me and she just said, she's such a wise woman, um, and said to me, what scares you more, going or staying? Because you can stay. And I was like, you know what? The thought of stayings and not pursuing the dream scares me more. And I've used that logic ever since. I think that's great logic. And it's, it's that regret. It's like people always say, well, if you don't do it, you'll never know. And for me, it's the same thing. If you don't take the chance, you'll never know if you like it or not. And if you don't like it, what have you lost? You've just learned. But you'd rather mm-hmm. learn something than not. And I think that's great. Yeah, it's great logic. So it's, yeah. it's the way you, you need to look at it, especially in this career, especially yeah. in this So you took the risk and became a manager. Did you enjoy it? Oh, I loved it. Yeah. And I think for me, that was the start of me realizing that, like everyone, I, I, I love training animals. And at that point, I trained animals for nearly 11, 12 years. Um, but then getting to be the, the training of people then took over for me. It was much more reinforcing for me to coach someone to train an animal. And mm. so it was, it was like doubly reinforcing. One, because I saw the animal being reinforced and, and learning, but then I saw the person doing that as well. Um, and as I say, I have a little bit of a different style with things and I'm very much like, yeah, see, see what happens. Okay, what's your thoughts on this? See where that goes. Okay, if, it's a, if it doesn't work, okay, so why does it work? Let's try something different. But you have to learn by making those mistakes because it makes you better. Yes. You never make a mistake. If someone tells you to do, okay, do this, 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 and this, it always goes right. When it goes wrong, you're in a whole world of hurt. So I'd rather people realize, okay, how do you deal with this when it goes wrong? Because if you can do that, you can do anything. So it's for me, it's like that trial by fire almost, but I'm still there to help. Yeah. But it's one of those things that I want to be there with you as you learn. And, and some of the, I just remember some of the people I've worked with when they've t- had that real challenging point and challenging behavior and they see that breakthrough, and you've helped them with that and you've coached them through that, but they make the breakthrough and they think about it through your prompts. It's so reinforcing, the most reinforcing thing in the world. And I still get to do that now, but in a different aspect. But it's, it's like, that's what my real core about what I love about leadership and I love about that coaching part. It is a fact. I personally think it's a fantastic leadership style to have because we don't work with machines. We work with animals. So they're ever changing so you can't ever give a trainer a list and say always do these exact things because you can still do those exact things in different situations and have a completely different result so yeah I think that's fantastic um what kind of qualities do you look for in your staff that's a good question I think it's changed over time I think Depending on the position I'm hiring for, it will change. So like if it's a, if it's an entry level sort of position, so any of the newer trainers coming up, basically I'm looking for raw enthusiasm. I just, I need that enthusiasm. I need that want to learn and, and grow and develop. Um, that energy is just, you can't, you can't replicate that. Um, and if you have that enthusiasm, you can. I can train anyone to be a trainer. That's the thing. I can train anyone to be a, be a trainer, but you need the enthusiasm. You need a good positive attitude as well. You need to be able to look at things from a standpoint of, okay, even if things are going wrong, hey, where's the silver lining in this? Okay, it's a challenge, but what's the opportunity? Having that mindset and having that thought process moving forward. Um, And another thing is just accountability. It's like if 
from a learning uh, from an early age if you can take accountability and go hey i made a mistake that honesty part is huge huge for me and i still i have staff who are like 20 30 year on veterans who still can't handle that and still still don't get that point of hey if you make a mistake put your hands up and take it and, and be like yeah i did that because people respect that so much more and that will build respect rather than going well yeah i didn't really yeah sort of thing it's like no own it if you own it it's like i'm reading this book right now called extreme ownership um it's by navy seal it's all about it's a different like sort of management style um and it, it really emphasizes that fact of if you take extreme ownership of everything and if you go okay so this is the situation it was my fault so so for instance i'll give an example so me in my position now if there's three people underneath me uh the third if the person on the front line makes a mistake that's my fault because i didn't train their their manager to train their manager to train them properly so it comes back on me but then they take ownership on the fact of okay well i didn't listen hard enough i didn't do this i didn't do this so it becomes this culture that you take on that becomes that everyone is looking out for the best and looking at okay how can i make everything better and, and support the team so that's a, sorry i digressed a little bit there but that's the the a, a concept and and you can see that early on in people so no but it's it's all such interesting information i think you know it all has so much value because this field has no room for ego. No, not like, at all. I say, I've said it on so many podcast episodes already, but I've known trainers with a massive ego. I'm pretty sure when I was a brand new trainer, I had quite a big ego coming into the job as well. The animals quickly teach you that you can. Oh, yeah. Um, what are, I'm, I know I keep going back to, you know, aspiring trainers and the advice that you have for them because you do have so much, like I'm trying to get it all out of you. Um they focus so much on things like swim tests practicing for swim tests and being good at that and maybe even you know learning some training theory what are some things that you consistently see entry-level applicants fail to prepare for oh that's interesting uh so I've yeah I've hired a lot of people in my career and and I've done a lot of interviews thousands of them and I think for me it's trying to think about what the interviewer wants to hear like so if you tell the interviewer what you think they want to hear you're not telling them what you believe mm. because you're not truly behind what you what you want so if i ask the question of okay one of my favorite questions is uh what frustrates you and people are like oh uh people don't know how to answer it because they're like well what if i give a bad answer and i'm like for me there's no bad answer to that because all i'm doing is trying to find out about the individual and if they go okay i get frustrated when people don't pull their weight i'm like okay, this is good because then I've got someone who's a team player who wants to make sure the team is equalized in that sense. And my interview style is very uh, interesting because I I try and a lot of people talk about interviews being, oh, these positive sort of, yeah, okay, so tell me about this and tell me about that. I'm not like that at all. I'm very much like, okay, tell me about where you need to develop and what you need to do. Mm. Like, I want to know, okay, where, like, I know I can see on your CV, I can see by meeting you that there's some positives here, but what do you really need to work and develop on? How can I help you develop as a person? Is that going to fit into the plan we have in the future? So you um, want to hire people that know themselves? Yes, because you need to know yourself and self-awareness is key. And you're not always going to have that at a young age. But if you start to think that way and start to have that, even if in the interview process, people start to, oh, I, I get where you're going. And then I have a follow-up email. They go, I really appreciate the email and just want to tell you that when thinking through that question, this is how I would answer it. I'm like, okay, they get it. And I'm like, that changes my mind sometimes on who I'm going to select because I'm like, okay, they've got it. Because if you truly know yourself, as you mentioned, ego is a huge thing, right? So if people come in overly confident, 
yeah, I get it. We've got, we've got to be confident. That's the industry we're in. And everyone goes, oh, yeah, but you can talk to a crowd of 5,000 people. Yeah, it's great. You can. But the ego, you, you need to realize if you go, yeah, I, I'm very confident in myself, but I know I've got to work on that. Like, mm. I remember as I was, you mentioned it yourself, I had a huge ego coming into this. It was like I came in and I started working Harley. I started working the sea lions. I started working Boris, who was like this huge 30-year-old like sea lion, like this Don Juan sea lion. What a great name. Like, yeah. I'm the guy. I'm like, I'm working. <laughs> He's on this rock. I'm the guy. These people are listening to me. And as you say, that was shot down so quickly. I, that was by my own staff and by the people I work with. They're like, you need to get off your high horse and realize that the, and appreciate what you're doing as a job. Don't think of this as this is making you better. You're making them better. And when yes. they say, it's like, I'm in this for the animals. It's not for me. I do this job. And you realize as you go along this career, it's not, you don't do it so you can go, hey, I'm a dolphin trainer. Um, you do it because... And I see a lot more people understand this. I do it because I want to raise awareness about the issues these guys face in the wild. It's not because I want to be a dolphin trainer. And I remember at university, I had the I had the nickname Showbiz. It was everything I did was sort of like this high level. My, my mates would love it, and they're always like, oh, "Yeah, he's the dolphin trainer." But then people were talking <laughs> about, it, I'm like, "Yeah, I am." But I said, the thing "Oh, is so you're, this. but you could use it as a pickup line yeah, when oh, you were yeah, younger." I'm, I'm, I'm of the gen, yeah. I'm of the generation where I would get kicked out of the bar. Exactly. So yeah, if you think about it, yeah, but back in the day, it was a pickup line. It was a huge pickup line, um, but it doesn't really work when my wife is a dolphin trainer. So uh, it's, <laughs> she knows the uh, reality. Yeah, she knows the reality of it all. But yeah, so so going back to it, it's like in those interviews, you you look for that sort of thing, and you you just want to be yourself. Don't be don't try and put on this facade that you think people want. Be yourself because in the long run, you want them to hire you for who you are. Because if they hire who they think you are you're not going to enjoy the job because they're going to think they're getting something not. So just be who you are. And if you don't, if you don't succeed at that interview, you will at another one because they'll, they'll hire you for yes. what you want. And that's, that's for me is key. Yes. That's what I, I tell all of my mentees that, you know, there's so much stress around finding the first, especially the first job, you know, I have to find it. And such a culture of there's so much competition. I'm never going to find a job. I need to. And I always tell them like, just it's timing. Just if you have enough determination and enough passion and you work hard enough, a job will come. If you yeah. keep applying to positions, eventually you will find the one that is meant for you. No, definitely. I agree with that. And even in this career I'm in now, even being the director of Zoo Miami, I've applied for a lot of positions in a lot of high up organizations and I've interviewed for several of them. And sometimes I've interviewed and I've been like, oh, this, I really want to work for this organization. I interview and I'm like, ah, maybe I don't know because you learn more about that because you've also got to think yeah everyone's so very much like that first job I need that first job but you've got to make sure as I said it's right for you as well because if it's not it's going to be the worst experience and you're going to not end up in this career yeah so and that if that if that's with cetaceans if it's with pinnipeds if it's with other animals whichever it is training is training no matter what you do and if you look at it even with IMARTA this year where our next conference is with ABMA so it's, it's the broad scope across the broad Everybody is talking about training. No matter what animal it is, we're all talking about training. And that, that yeah. is the universal language. So, yeah. So you had a lot of success at Dolphin Quest and then you proceeded to move on to a different island. I did. So I, I took the route the, uh, the explorers took. So I came from the UK to Bermuda to the Bahamas, <laughs> eventually across the US. So I thought I'd go down and do that. Also a bit like the Kokomo song as well um which is which is always funny the beach boys but yeah no I, I moved to atlantis in the bahamas much bigger facility so i went from a small facility with 12 dolphins well seven to 12 dolphins depending on the time of year and then went to 
Atlantis, where we had 16 sea lions and 45 dolphins. So much bigger facility, went in there as an assistant director. Um, and I learned a lot of lessons moving there, like from a leadership standpoint. I went in with this idea and plan that I can change this place and turn it into this amazing facility. Within three months, I had my boss pull me in and go, hey, you need to either turn that fire hose off and turn it to a trickling hose and slowly integrate this, or you're not going to be working here much longer. So when that happened, uh, I was like, okay, let me replan how I'm going to do this. And over the next 15 months I spent there, uh, we worked really, really well. The team were incredible. And we really uh, implemented several different ideas from a training standpoint with the multiple animals we had. Um, and it was really one of those things that I know that in that first three months, I may have rubbed the team up the wrong way. Mm. But then at the end of it, when I actually decided and I told them I was moving uh, to the US, to Georgia, they were like, oh, that's kind of kind of sad you're going. So I was kind of <laughs> I was like, oh, I, I, changed, I changed the mentality and the culture there to, for that department we're working in. So it was a good experience and a, a really nice transition to, uh, to the US, really. Yeah, I think every place you go all the people that you meet the people you work with they all teach you something different you know they could teach you something really good about yourself and they could teach you something you know really bad about yourself that you potentially need to work on I know that I've definitely had a lot of those experiences too so by this point in your career you've worked at a lot of different places you've learned a lot of lessons taken a lot of risks and you made your way into the U.S. for the first time I did. Um, and this is where this comes into this whole sort of idea of I never knew I could. I never thought I'd crack the US. Never thought ever. So the closer I thought I'd get was Bermuda. Then the closer I got was Bahamas. I was literally a half an hour flight from the US. Yeah. Like, yes, that's the closer I'm going to get. But then this position came up at Georgia uh, for uh, being the director of animal training pinnipeds. And I was like, OK, I've got pinniped experience. I'm going to I'm going to go for it. Let me see what happens. And I knew. The, the, the senior management there, I knew. I knew Eric Gaglione. I knew Dennis Christian. Um, so they knew of me through my connections through IMARTA. Now, I hadn't become any, I hadn't become a serving board member by then, but I'd gone to several conferences and I'd been able to network with them, talk through things and through people I knew, knew them. And I'd been introduced and it was a good conversation. And so I got to that point and I was like, okay, I'm going to apply. And I was like, hey, if they're just going to look at me British, they're going to be like, yeah, whatever. It's like, he's, we have to get a visa. So lo and behold, I get a phone call and I'm like, okay, cool. I've got an interview. Great. So I had this phone interview and I'm like, okay, they're still going to say I'm British. They're just probably giving me a chance. Then I got an invite to go for an in-person interview. I was down to the final three. So I'm like, okay, if I'm down to the final three, then obviously they're willing to invest to get a visa. So I'm like, I was thinking I've got a really good shot at this. So I went across for the interview. What didn't help was that my boss at, um, Atlantis was best friends with my future boss at Georgia Aquarium. So I, I, <laughs> so I was honest from the start saying like, this is where it is. It's an opportunity I can't turn down. I appreciate what we've done here. If I get this, I have to do it. And, and Greg Charbonneau, who's now Odyssey was amazing. He was very supportive about everything and I, a kudos to him and thank you to him for, for allowing me to do that and being such a, as a lesson I learned is that he didn't restrict me from doing anything, which is something mm. it, I say, I digress in conversations sometimes, but if someone has an opportunity somewhere else to be successful, I'm never going to stop them just because I want to keep them where I am with me. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that of him as well. He, he gave me that opportunity. So, so yeah, I went for my interview. It was a day long interview. I meet with loads of different people, board members and all stuff. And, and then I got the phone call probably about a week, week later saying, Hey, we want to hire you. And I was like, Oh shit. Oh, <laughs> I, was like, 
Oh damn! I was like, "That's the." That's fine. I'm I'm Scottish. It's fine. You can swear. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, and I was like, "This is crazy." I was like, "This is like this is the opportunity." So I was like, "Great, this is." So then I was full force, get the visa, got all that sorted out, um, and then started to Georgia, and um, and that was a big project. That was a that was one hell of a project. I had to get, I had to work with the team. I had to get all the animals in, hire twelve to fifteen staff. The facility wasn't ready until we actually a week before we opened. Train the animals to be part of a presentation in six months. Now, it was the most challenging time of my career, but and the staff I brought in, they had the pressure on them as well. But I was like, hey guys, just go and have fun. Have fun with this. No pressure. If we do it, we do it. If we don't, we don't. I knew that if that hadn't, if we hadn't done that, potentially I may have lost my job if we hadn't done it and succeeded. So, because that's what I was brought in to do. I was brought in to do this and, and change this around. And I, in the interview, I was saying, yeah, we can do this. It's not a problem. Young animals, you do this, this. And I was like, now I had to back up what they were saying. And I was like, yeah. okay, I have to get the team to back up. So I was lying on the team. Um, but that team, the, the original team at Georgia I started with was, was the most incredible team I've worked within. And it was such a fun time, so much fun, so many memories from it. Um, and then that just led into, we opened it and it's been successful and, I spent nearly six years there and um, building that program. We're having loads of different transitions of different trainers coming in, seeing people grow and develop. And now seeing that I, I'm not the director anymore, but Andy Madigan is now the director there. He came as curator with me. He's now succeeded, taking it to the next level and the management team there. So kudos to the team that's still there running that because it's uh, one hell of a program that runs there and they do some amazing work. Uh, Georgia in general, yeah. but that Winnipeg team as well. So. Uh, I, I love- teams always have so much work like in any facility like they're always doing the most shows they always have like usually the most animals with the least staff <laughs> they're yeah. always the unsung heroes of any facility as a sea lion team well the one thing about georgia and georgia's uh we're I'm very fortunate to have the resources we did there is i we had a big team so we had um when i left i think we had 15 sea lions was it 15 15 3 15 12 to 15 sea lions and three harbor seals but we had a team of 25 trainers. The dream. So, but each each presentation we would do took, we had at least, because the way the, the, the stadium was, yeah. we had these visual barriers. So we had to do like three shows in one. So we had to have three to four animals out at a time and each animal had their own trainer. So it was like to run one show, it took five trainers. Oh, yeah. So, um, so that was that's how we worked through it. But it was, it's such a great opportunity. And if people get the opportunity to go to Georgia and see it, it's, yeah, it's an incredible facility, an incredible learning opportunity to be part of as well oh definitely and I want to touch on quickly because a lot of your experience up until Georgia was mostly interaction based it wasn't show slash presentation based what was it like going from one to the other um for me because of the type of show we did there the type of presentation we did it was very much like just a it's like it was like an interaction on steroids (laughs) is the way I would put it because we made it so so like up close and personal like an interaction but also gave the information of being okay this is a show this is we're, we're, we're talking to everyone at the same time mm, mm-hmm. we, we had elements in it where we'd go up close and bring back up close and bring back and and really like ebb and flow between it and like blended the two sort of ideas together yeah um and i know that during our aza inspection and in 2019 they commented that we were the benchmark sea line presentation wow. uh, the industry which was like for me at that time was like hey 
and that that was like the pat, the pat on the back moment <laughs> well, it, 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 and this is the thing it wasn't me that was the team everything I do is because I'm so successful for every team I've worked with it's the team that yes. has made me so successful um, and I appreciate that and I appreciate the hard work the team's put in because I can't do anything on my own I need the team to yeah. work with me. it's about the team so it's, if I can motivate and inspire that team to do the best they can then that that's my job and that's what I do so um kudos to the teams that are in for all of that so I've just been I've just been very successful to be a part of it I also want to ask what your thoughts are of theatrical versus educational shows and this is a safe space you can oh, say no, what yeah. you no, want I, I get that. So, so, for me, so from going in and seeing like I don't see uh, like Georgia had dolphin tales um I say my wife worked in dolphin tales so seeing that show I was like I was blown away when I saw that show I was like, this is incredible because of the way they've done it. And, but I understand the, the potential criticism it may have got because of the education value. But I think you can blend the two. So for me, I think it's all good having a theatrical show because the stadium we had, <coughs> excuse me, we had, we had the ability to do lighting and do various different music and, and have those theatrical elements in it. But we still had the education side of it as well. So I think if you can blend the two, then it's great. I think either way, it's the extremes of like really theatrical, not really up for that. Really educational, not really up for that either. I think you need to blend the two together because people want to be entertained. No doubt about it. When people come in, they want to be entertained, but they also want to learn at the same time. So you have to learn this day and age is to the message has to be clear and concise, especially on social media, because people will take a snap of something and you're like, you need to have it as being an impact. So whatever you do, we're, we're, we're adopting that here at Zoo Miami as well, understanding that. If you want to get conservation and education across, you have to have something to to pull people in. So you have to give value, yeah. Yeah, you have to give the value because people are going to want to see it. Because you're going to have the, the I say the extremes. People are going to want to read a conservation message, but you're also going to have people who are just coming in and want to see. Okay, I want to see an animal. Oh, now I want to learn. Let me learn this about an animal. Okay, this one headline. Okay, cool. And they take that away. So you have to be really careful with your messaging. So I think a blend of both really works. So uh, it's like edutainment, as people have coined before. Yeah, I completely agree. And honestly, one of the best, um, I haven't seen the Sea Lion show at Georgia um, in person, but one of the best kind of edutainment shows I've seen recently was actually done at the Harderike Dolphinarium here in the Netherlands. And one of my two, two of my good friends are, you know, high up on that team and were involved in making that show. And when I, well, I say show, it's more, it's a mix. It's a show presentation. And they asked me my opinion when I'd watched it. And I was like, you guys have nailed it. It was amazing. It was so captivating. It wasn't boring in the slightest. You, The audience were all invested and on their toes. And you saw the relationship. And you also learned about the natural history of bottlenose dolphins. And you also learned about how to protect them in the wild. And it really did feel like, finally, we were coming into where we're supposed to be. Yeah. No, definitely. And I, I think that's that's the, the future of this this industry is being able to do that um, and understanding that. And you can see that the big U.S. Uh, facilities are doing that now as well. They're, they're, they're blending the two together because they know they have to bring that together. And I think it's great that everyone's seeing that and doing that. So, yeah. And I think another way that, you know, us as trainers can also make sure that we are continually evolving and learning and growing into the best animal carers, scientists, researchers, conservationists that we can be 
is to attend conferences like IMATA, is to be members of IMATA. And you have already mentioned, you know, some of the conferences, but for people listening that maybe don't know what that kind of conference involves, could you tell them a bit more about it? Sure. So um, IMATA is, is the International Marine Animal Trainers Association. Um, and so I became a member back in 2003. And I went to my first conference in 2005, not knowing what to expect. Now, it was in the Florida Keys. So I was like, okay, it was going to be kind of nice because it's in the Keys. So I went there and it was just the most amazing experience of and, and learning I'd ever ever encountered in, in, in training and in just the industry. Because you have all of the professionals, all the high-ranking high trainers, people like Ken Ramirez uh, being there and like being able to listen to them and listen to what they've done and how they, they, they present on the training they do, the behaviours they're training, the husbandry they do. And even just from sitting and listening, you may not be doing the training, but you're listening, you're taking it in and going, this is giving me an idea to do this. And then the networking aspect of it is huge. Now, I would never be where I am now if I hadn't gone to IMATA and networked. Because over all those years, it was when I was meeting back up with Michelle Campbell, seeing her, how's the career going? How's things going in the UK? Uh, it helped being the guy from the UK because my accent. So people were like, oh yeah, and I had long hair back then. I don't have any hair. <laughs> I had long hair back then and... But being being able to interact and just network and just you may only see these people once a year, maybe once every two years, but everyone remembers everyone. And it's such an environment. It's like a family. Once you're in the family, you're in the family. Absolutely. It, we, we want to bring everyone in. And and that was one of the things we just had our conference in Chicago. Um, and I was saying that if you've never been to a conference before and you don't know anyone, hey, I'm up here on stage. My name's Will. You know me now. Come and say hi because that's what people did for me. They came over and spoke to me and I didn't have to be this wallflower. They brought me over and they, they brought me into their group. So I want to do more and more of that for people. So if, you're, if, if, you're, if you're planning and you're listening to this and you're planning to go to the conference in 2023, I'm going to be there. Come and see me. If you don't know anyone, come and talk to me. Yeah, just I'm, I'll introduce you to everyone and anyone. It's, it's, all about, it's all about the networking. Yes, absolutely. I love that. And I think this entire conversation will give, I think, hope and inspiration to so many people that are wanting to get maybe that first step in the field or maybe, you know, wanting to progress in the field. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of your advice and wisdom with us. No worries. Thank you very much for the opportunity and um, good luck to everyone out there. It's like, it can happen. It's one of those things, as you say, it's, there's no such word as can't and uh, every challenge is an opportunity to so get out there and, and just make it happen because you can do it. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you have enjoyed this week's episode, then please don't forget to like, rate and subscribe and I will catch you guys next week.